Hey, we are really glad that you're here this morning. I am excited. Um, missed you guys last week. I heard the communion service was just amazing, which uh, I already knew it would be. But um, had the chance to go up to South Dakota and go hunting, which was a, a lot of fun. Hadn't gone, never been to South Dakota before. Now I can check that off my bucket list and not have to go back. Um, the, uh, it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun, had a great time, had a good fellowship, and on the last day when the wind was blowing 60 miles an hour and the snow was blowing with it, and, and uh, it was about 14 degrees outside and I had a zip-up hoodie, um, I, I didn't pack well, let's just go with that. Uh, thankfully the guys on the trip were my size and there was long underwear left over, so I borrowed some of that. And, I didn't freeze to death, but it was definitely chilly. But uh, really, really had a good time. And then, the, of course, the, the snow diverted our planes all over the place. So um, got home a day later than I expected to. But, you know, it was all part of the adventure, and it was a lot of fun. And I uh, had a chance to sit in the airport for a good long time and study over my message. So um, looking forward to this morning, getting into Philippians. Um, if you have one of those cool little Bible feather things like that, um, Go ahead and throw that in Philippians because we're going to be there through the end of the year. Uh, we're going to be going through the book of Philippians talking about joy in all different sorts of circumstances. So this morning, if you want to, please, please open up to uh, the book of Philippians chapter 1. We'll be going through verses 1 through 11 this morning. One of the main themes, like I said before, is joy. And that's a great thing, I think, for us here in America because we have a tendency as uh, a a country to pursue joy. As a matter of fact, if you really think about it, um, what is it? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, it's funny. Those are our inalienable rights that we have. And as we look at it, as we really look at it, life, that's guaranteed. Liberty, guaranteed. Pursuit of happiness, not so much. It's a, it's a constant pursuit. That's the reason why America was basically founded. It was a pursuit of happiness, of the next thing. And we look, about that, look at that and we, we say, how, how, does our, how does our culture, how does our you know, country really try and pursue happiness? And it's two, two areas that I see. One is culture and the other one is religion. Those are the two ways we really try and look for that happiness and, and that we try and get joy and we pull it out and we reach for it in these different areas. Culture has many different directions. One is processes. Processes. Um, I'm not sure if you've had a chance to, to stand in the, in the supermarket aisle at any point in time. You're just kind of standing there. And every magazine that is geared for people all has steps to happiness, steps to joy. As a matter of fact, we were on the plane back and the lady sitting across... Um, the aisle there had a, a yoga magazine, which I didn't even know they made a magazine for yoga, but apparently they do. And um, it talked about happiness at all ages and how to get there through these yoga steps. And I could, it was just right there on the cover, and I kind of laughed and said, that's exactly what we're talking about. Everything has steps. So there's processes. There's places, places that we want to go to make us happy. And I, I laughed that, that Scott is in Disneyland this week and getting to have a fun time. And I, I think Disneyland's a blast. It, it's a great time. But there's something about it that every time I've ever been there, it's like you just have to pray that you're not going to get angry at the happiest place on earth. Um, and it's, it's just one of those things that, that happens. And I was joking with Scott. I took him to the airport yesterday morning. And he's like, yeah, my sister gets really crabby. 
And, uh, and we've already had discussions on the phone that we're not going to be crabby while we're at Disneyland. And I said, that's great. That's, that's one of the things. We try and go to places. Uh, maybe your place is like a little kind of off in the corner place. Maybe your place is Hawaii. Maybe your place is South Dakota. I don't know. If I said something to offend you this morning about South Dakota, I apologize. Um, you know, uh, you have the whole uh, Vegas. What, goes, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know, that's what people try and find happiness. So there's processes to get there. How about possessions? Have you ever watched a commercial that the people were unhappy with the product that they were selling? No, because it wouldn't sell you on the product. The whole idea is that, that smile is a subtle inference that that product is going to make you happy. I think I might have told you this before, but I've always wanted to. If I was you know, rich beyond any measure and I just had money to blow, I want to, get a, I want to buy a Super Bowl ad commercial to go right after one of those fun beer commercials and show the actual effects of beer kids beat up, cars crashed, you know, things like that. And just say, hey, yeah, that, and have people smiling. You know, the, the same people that were in the commercial before smiling and all the effects of what happens afterwards. I think that'd be a lot of fun. I just don't have $2.4 million to blow. So um, it's just an idea someday. Um, you know, so there, there's possessions, there's places, there's processes. And really the, the fourth one is people. We look for people to hang out with that'll make us happy. Um, some people are just dying to get married because that'll make them happy. Some people are just dying to have kids because that'll make them happy. Some people are just dying to have a friend that, that they can talk to. Um, I just hit 600 friends on my Facebook this week. And I'm, yes, I know, it, it was a milestone for me. And I was very excited about it. And I th- got to thinking, I don't know three quarters of those people, in all honesty. Um, I know them, but I don't really know them. Uh, I, I've run into them once, and they said, do you have a Facebook account? And I'm like, yeah, I'd be my friend so I can be popular. Um, you know, I don't know. Um, we try and reach out to people. We try and do those kind of things. But what is it about those things that ever really makes us happy? I'm not sure if you remember two weeks ago, uh, we talked about the book of Ecclesiastes. And as we, we wrapped up the One Month to Live series, we said everything under the sun is meaningless. And those are all things that really are meaningless but yet we try and strive to have things or people or go to places or whatever it is to try and make us happy when those things don't work i think a lot of people turn to religion and when i say i turn to religion i don't just mean christianity i mean we try and find our inner peace we try and and get um get ourselves in a place where where we are our own gods and we are basically we make god our slaves because we think we're we're first and we're ahead of everybody um and even in Christianity, even in Christianity, there are teachers and preachers, and, and you may know who I'm talking about because there's one that, that really has the biggest church in the, in the United States um, running 45,000, I think is what the number was, a couple of weeks ago when it came out, that they, they have 45,000 people in their church. But his whole message, and, and there's plenty of it like it, that is if you are spiritually mature, if you are walking with God, he will bless you to the point where you will not, be, you will not have debt and you will not... Um, have any problems, that you'll have a pain-free, debt-free life, and it's all about how spiritually mature you are. And i got to tell you, that sounds good. I wish it were true. Um, But if if we look at the most spiritually mature person that's ever walked this planet, the person that was the very closest to God himself, who was Jesus, was he debt-free? Did he have a happy life? He was beaten he was bruised. His friends turned his, their backs on him. 
He didn't have money. He wasn't overly wealthy. He grew up. He was born in a stable. We know that. We'll be celebrating that here real soon, which is kind of a crazy thought to think about. But um, he, was, he was born in a stable. He, he did a common man's job for a good 30 years of his life before he started a, a, a ministry where he walked around homeless. So that, that isn't exactly the gospel. We, we think that if we can do that, we'll get to that. A relationship with God, let me just let you know this, isn't always the happy isn't always the joy that the world would hope it would be. When we look at culture's view, happiness cannot be found. When we look through the eyes of culture and we look at it from an area of these processes or possessions or places or people or even the religious road, happiness cannot be found even though we pursue it. There isn't anything good under the sun. And in the pursuit of happiness, it's amazing to me Did you know that 18.1 million Americans are diagnosed with severe depression? It's kind of a crazy thought. Antidepressant drugs are the most prescribed drugs in America used by 118 million people. 25% of all adults and 8% of all adolescents have suffered at least one episode of severe depression. The number three cause uh, leading killer of teenage girls is their own hands suicide and it's all because we're in this pursuit of happiness and we're all barking up the wrong tree we all think that it's the stuff and we've talked about it in the one month to live and i think the one month to live how it it just goes right into this book of joy in philippians i think it's perfect as it just carries that same theme that it's so much more than what we think so much more that brings us joy I think that Americans, you know, really the pursuit of happiness is, is the wrong pursuit. We're going up the wrong avenues. We're barking up the wrong trees. So today, as we, uh, as we talk about Philippians and as we go through it through the rest of 2010, we're going to talk about that joy. We're going to talk about where we can find that pursuit or, or that happiness, where we can be pursuing from. If you do me a favor, if, you book, if your Bible's already open, um, go to Philippians 1.1. Philippians 1.1, we're just going to take a few minutes to break this verse down as he opens up this chapter. And um, I promise you I will not do this in every verse, or we'll be going through this for years, not just months. Um, but it says this, Philippians 1.1, I'll be reading from the NIV today. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. This opening here is great for us because we are able to to take a look and see exactly what this is all about, exactly who it's all about. And as we look, first it's who is Paul and who is Timothy. Paul is obviously the the author of the book. We all know Paul. He's the one who was walking along the road to Damascus, that Jesus came face to face with him, woke him up to to what he was doing to Christians, made him probably one of the the more spiritual Christians that has ever walked the, the planet, one of the ones who's persevered through more than anything that most of us could deal with. Um, Timothy with his right-hand man. But it tells us who they were, not just their you know, description that is right here, but who they were. And that who they were is they were servants of Christ. And the actual Greek word translates as slaves. Slaves of Christ. And then it says to all the saints who are the people that follow Christ. I know that um, I grew up Catholic uh, some of you may have too, living in a Catholic community. When we assume saints, we assume the sainthood 
of, uh, of St. Michael and all the different saints and, and things like that. And that's not uh, what he's talking about here. He's actually talking about those who have come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. That makes you a saint. And if you want to use that on your next job resume or anything like that, just put it under honors and achievements, sainthood. Um, so uh, whatever you feel like doing. Uh, then he's also talking to the church at Philippi. And church at Philippi, if you guys want to, we're not going to take the time to do it this morning. But if you go to Acts chapter 16, you'll see where the church at Philippi started at. And it actually started with Paul, a couple of ladies, a guy, and a formerly demon-possessed girl. And um, that's actually in Acts 16 where Paul gets arrested for... Uh, getting the demon out of this demon-possessed girl and the guy who was making money off of her because she was able to foretell future and do all those kind of fortune tellings and things like that. Um, he got arrested. The, the jailer came to know Christ, who also is a part of the church of Philippi, because you know, the angel came, all the chains fell off, and the, and the guy was completely amazed. And, and uh, it's a real cool story. Take a look at it. As, maybe do that this week as we uh, prepare to keep going in Philippians throughout this. So that's the church of Philippi. There's three things I want you to see in this um, that really could be the entire message, but we, since we had to kind of go through 2010, we had to, to hurry it through a little bit. Three points I want you to see. First is in Christ Jesus. Before Paul gets out of verse 1, he gives us the reason for his joy, and he gives us the reason for all of our joy. If you are in Christ Jesus, you have joy. That is where it is found. That is pursuit that it's at. If you are sitting in this room right here, right now, and you are not in Christ Jesus, you do not know Christ Jesus as your personal Savior, we need to talk by the time this is over so you can understand what we are talking about. Second thing is, is servants are slaves. All of us are a slave to something. What are you a slave to? Are you a slave to Christ or are you a slave to sin? All of us are a slave to something. Who is your master? If you are a slave to Christ, you realize, you realize that through all of this, through everything, the master or the slave never has it better than his master. And if we're a slave to Christ and we see Christ's life, we understand, you know, we're not going to have it better than him. And it helps us have joy and helps us have perspective in the situations that we are in. And the third thing is his saint, and that I already talked about with the fact that Saint is not a, a Catholic term here of, of, you know, how you reach sainthood, which is an amazing process. You should Google it sometime. I just had to Google it this week and see what it was about. And it's pretty impressive how you have to become a saint. I mean, you have to, do, you have to perform um, three post-mortem miracles to be able to be a saint. So that was pretty impressive um, for anybody who's a saint now because they did something while they were dead. So um, that, that's pretty impressive. Um, so that is Philippians 1.1 in a nutshell. Let's go on to Philippians verse 2 uh, here in just a second. Because as we get into it, this is where it talks about our, our topic for today, which is joy and loneliness. And that, that doesn't sound possible, to have joy in loneliness. But if you really look at what Paul is talking about here, it'll, it'll kind of open our eyes to having joy and loneliness. You know, we live in a lonely society. For those of you who are, are a little bit older, you know, even about my age and on up, uh, I'm not sure if you remember what neighborhoods were like when you were growing up versus the way neighborhoods are now. Um, I, I'll never forget, there was an old Italian fellow that used to live across the street. His name was Joe, and Joe uh, had a dog named Sam, a golden retriever. And they would sit on their front porch every day, and I would go over and talk to them. And at Halloween, they'd give out giant 
uh, homemade popcorn balls, which you're not allowed to do anymore because it has to be wrapped properly and all those kind of things like that. But that was back in the time when the neighbors knew each other and you weren't worried about those kind of things. And it was just a time. Now we have air conditioning and garage door openers. So those two things pretty much have shut us off. And fences out here, you know, most of the other places don't have the fence problem. But we have divided ourselves and said, hey, I'm going to open my garage door as I pull into my driveway. I'm going to close it before I get out of my car, and I'm not going to talk to anybody. We live in a society in neighborhoods, you know, that really produce loneliness. I could probably take a survey this tonight, or this morning, I guess, it feels like, um, all messed up here. Um, if I were to say, hey, tonight when you go home to, to eat, is this the only meal that you're going to sit down together today and eat as a family? Because when I was growing up, we ate just about every meal as a family. But it seems culture today, they, take, they maybe get one, maybe get two a week where they're all sitting together. And the rest of it is, is we're going to grab something from McDonald's on our way to, to this sports practice or this band practice or whatever it might be. And it's constantly everybody's missing each other. And I remember that starting about the time I was in... Uh, junior or senior in high school where my, my dinner was left on a plate in the oven. And uh, when I got home from, from sports practice, I got to eat dinner and everybody else was kind of doing their thing. And those are the kind of things that, that have produced loneliness. Um, our friendships. How, how many people in here would say that you have really, really good friends? Statistics say that you have two. Statistics say that, that people have two good friends, deep friendships, people that you actually connect. That's why when you look at your Facebook page and you say, oh, I've got 600 friends, do you really have 600 friends? Or do you have 600 people that are following you and stalking you and, um, you know, things like that? Yeah, and I, I say that jokingly, but I know exactly what a lot of you are doing, which is scary. Um, so... Uh, that's kind of the mentality with Facebook and those things. We, we keep everything so surfacy, and that creates loneliness. We try to cure that loneliness in so many different ways. We try to cure it by, by fitting in with a certain group of people. We try to, to do it. It's funny, when I worked in junior high, uh, in a junior high group, it was amazing that literally weeks would go by, and Sam... You know, I know you worked in youth ministry a whole lot longer. Actually, you're, you're old enough to be my youth pastor, as a matter of fact, if I remember right. Um, the the uh, weeks would go by, and a junior high student would be a skater one week and a punk the next week, and then like a stoner-type kid the next. And it was just constant. And then he was a jock because he was just trying to find somewhere to fit in. And I think we still do that today. We're always trying to fit in. Some of us try to, to build a relationship, to get married, to have kids. And all those things are fine to do, but it's not the way to cure loneliness. It's not the way to do it. We are made for relationship. We are made for relationship. I mean, if you really look at it, you look at the book of Genesis, he, God says it's not good for man to be alone. And so what he does is he creates Eve from Adam, and now there's this perfect relationship because it is a triune relationship just like God is a triune God. God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We are built in His image. So when we look at relationships, when it is God, us, others, that builds that same triangle, that same triune relationship that is there. And as we look at that and we think about that, I think one of the big problems is, it goes back to Genesis again, is that triune relationship was severed when we sinned. 
That triune relationship was severed when Adam and Eve sinned. Because what's the first thing they did when they sinned? They hid. They hid from each other and they hid from God. They automatically brought themselves to a point of loneliness. Because they couldn't bear to be in God's presence because of their sin. And it's, it's an amazing thing to think about that as all these people search for loneliness and there's all these people on all these antidepressant drugs, what really it is is we need to rebuild that relationship with Christ we need, or with God through Christ. We need to have that, that triangle back in place. And I'm not going to say that you're going to be so super happy that as soon as you accept Christ, all your troubles are going to go away and life is going to be great. No, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is you're going to have a whole new perspective on, on the suffering that you do have. When you look at your current relationships, how many of you who had, I just want to see a show of hands just real quick. How many of you, your best friend in high school is still your best friend? Got a couple. Got a couple. That's cool. How did you build those relationships? And I don't want you to actually answer it out loud. But how did you build that relationship? It's built on commonality, right? Probably a sports team that you guys played on together. You guys lived by each other. Um, Those type of things are what bring us together with friends. But there's one thing that that I noticed that as, uh, as I went through basically college and started my relationship with Christy, and our relationship grew to the point where we got married, and then our marriage grew to the point to where we had kids, that our friends changed at each one of those levels. Now, I'm not saying we left all of our other friends behind, but there was a commonality that when we got married in high school, a lot of our friends hadn't gotten married yet, and nobody wants to hang out with the married couple. Found that out. Because they have to go home, and we get to go home together. And I think that was part of the reason why. And, uh, and you know, that happened. And then when you had kids, how many of your married friends who didn't have kids, they didn't have the same connection. And it just went that way. So how do we keep our relationships from kind of fading off? How do we keep our relationships from completely breaking down? How do we keep, if you go get your high school yearbook and you open it up and there's all these people like, hey, never change, you rock, rock on, we're going to be friends forever. And you're like, I don't even know who that is. Why did they write that? You know, and you go, and you go find your picture back in the back and you're like, I still don't know who that is. And, and you know, that's kind of our mentality. How do we keep that from changing? How do we keep a solid relationship? Well, Paul talks about it here in in this first passage of Philippians that we're going to talk about, and that is through a gospel partnership. Through a gospel partnership. If you really look at all of these um, things that we have in common with people, the thing that will hold us together most is a gospel partnership with Christ. It's a gospel partnership through Christ with other people. We are made in the image of God, like I said. It keeps that triangle together. So let's read here and see about this gospel partnership that he talks about and see how this partnership works. We're going to read all the way through verse 11, in, uh, starting in verse 2. It says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who had begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about you since I have in my heart, I have you in my heart, I'm sorry, for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. 
God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the partnership that we have in you and the partnership we have to connect with people as we reach out, as we, as we continue to, to build these relationships, to build these friendships, and be able to reach out to, to people that, Lord, that don't know you and help them understand about your grace and about your peace and what comes with it. I pray, Lord, you speak to us this morning through all this. Pray it all in your name. Amen. You know, it's funny. You look at Paul sitting in prison. He's sitting in prison. He's broke. He's hungry. He's awaiting execution. He's lonely. He's without a wife. He's without kids. He's without grandkids. He's without all the things that we think would help cure loneliness. And yet he is speaking with joy and talking about how he prays with joy to this church that he had the opportunity to plant, to this church he had the opportunity to help get started. And this is how he starts it. He says, grace and peace to you. Grace to you. Grace is probably the best word we have to summarize our relationship with Christ. It's probably the best word we have to summarize our belief in God. Because guess what? We're sinners, but God is gracious. We are sinners, but God is gracious. We don't need to outweigh our bad with our good. We don't need to try and earn some uh, new level of reincarnation further down the line. But because God is gracious and that we are sinners, He has forgiven us by giving us the opportunity to repent. Now, when we sin, God convicts us of it. There's no doubt about it. When we sin, God convicts us. But when we repent, He shows Grace to us, undeserved favor, unmerited love. And that is God in a nutshell. You know, God's not obligated to us in any way, but he has given us the chance to accept his grace in every way because he is a loving God. Our relationship with Jesus is based on God's grace. We receive God's grace, and we are called as well to share that same grace with others in our relationships. And what I mean by this is this. Just like we sinned against God and we repent, He has showed grace to us. When somebody sins against us and they repent, we need to show grace to them. We are grace givers and grace receivers at the same time. And I want to clarify something. I've said the word repent in there a handful of times. We get grace when we repent. If we repent of our sin... We get grace from God. But if we do not, if you do not repent of your sin, you do not get to live in heaven with God for eternity. And it's a plain and simple fact. And we like to think that there's all these different other ways to get there, but it's when we repent of our sin and we accept Jesus Christ into our lives and we have a right standing with God through that. That's how we get there. You get justice when you don't do it. You get grace when you do. And grace is contingent on your repentance. And it's the same way in our relationships. You know, if we give grace to those who have repented, and in return we get grace when we repent our sins with others, 
there is a, there is a great thing that happens in our lives with other people. When there's a desire to change, when there's a desire to say, hey, we want to move on from this point. We don't want to fight about this anymore. We don't want to be in this place. We want to get past this. It builds the relationship. But if somebody comes to you and says, you know what, I'm sorry for what I did, and then they turn around and do it again, and then they say, oh, I'm sorry for what I did, and they turn around and do it again, and they do it again, and they do it again, what's that do to your relationship? It causes a strain. It causes a separation. As a matter of fact, that's the reason why Paul brings up the next point when he says grace and peace to you. Because when we show grace, we'll have peace in our relationships. But if we don't show grace, or if grace is not given, or if somebody has not repented, or that repentance isn't an actual life-changing repentance, just words, because that's what we do sometimes to try and get our way, it causes problems. It causes strife. It uh, takes away from peace. Because of God's grace, we are at peace with Him. Our nature, the nature of God, is to show wrath on us. But because of His grace and because of our repentance, it brings us to that point. Same thing when you fight with a friend or if you wrong your spouse. There's not peace in that relationship until grace is shown until repentance is done. And some of you might be sitting in here right now. You had a fight with your friend. You had a fight with your spouse. And you're sitting here faking it. Because we're good at that. We're Christians. You could have fought out in the car. And been like, hey, all right, we're here. <laughs> you know, as soon as you close the door, the big smile comes on your face and you're good to go. Until afterwards, and then it's back to, oh, you know. And we've all done it. We've all done it. When there is no grace, when there is no repentance, there is not peace. So when he says grace and peace to you, that's a big thing. Because in sin, there is war, but in repentance and grace, there is peace. So what Paul basically is saying here is because of our relationship with each other and God, he's talking to the Philippian church, he says we have peace due to grace that flows from God. Then we pass that peace on to each other, even though he is far away and seemingly alone, he still has a connection through them, through that gospel partnership. Verses 3 and 4. says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. i got to tell you, if I was sitting in a, in a first century prison, the last thing I'd be thinking about is praying for other people and praying with joy. But for some reason, Paul in his relationship with God, in his relationship with these people, he is encouraged because of that gospel partnership. He has grace. He has peace with them. He has peace with with one another. And guess what? He says, every time I remember you, he has great memories because of that. When there is no peace, how are the memories? What do we remember? What are the things that come back as soon as we get into a little tiff? It's all the things that you have done wrong over the past 20 years. When there's no repentance of those things, when there's no grace that is actually given, it gets rough. And I really think that's a big reason why we have such a problem with loneliness. That's a real reason why we have such a problem with divorce. Is that people don't have that triune connection where there's grace coming from God and because God gave me grace, I'm able to give you grace. And it just passes on down. Well, that's what Paul has here and that's where he is at. And he prays with joy. He prays with joy even though he's lonely, even though he's sitting in prison, even though he's in the circumstances he is in. 
He prays with joy. And he talks about joy through this entire book. There's four chapters of it, and he says joy or rejoice 14 times. This book is completely and totally different than, than most of the other ones that he's written. You know, a lot of the other ones he's confronting people who are false teachers, or he's talking about things that the church is doing wrong. Here he's just encouraging them. He's encouraging this church because of the peace that is there. But how does he do it? How does he write about joy? How does he pray with joy in the circumstances that he's in? And this is it. Paul understands that joy is much more than just an emotion. It is a lifestyle. Joy is a lifestyle. If we think joy is an emotion, guess what? Life's going to be up and life's going to be down. You're going to be happy in the good times and you're going to be upset in the bad times. But if it's a lifestyle, you understand that it's a constant, that there's joy in every situation. Life doesn't have to be great to be joy. You don't have to be the master Christian at faking it on Sunday mornings. I mean, I've been to many, many churches growing up, and I've gotten out of the car many, many times when my mom says, just put a smile on your face. And you remember that. Maybe a parent, you've said it. But we do those things, and we think... Well, as long as we smile, everything's going to be good. We're going to be faking it. But it's okay to have joy when you're disappointed. It's okay to have joy when you are in a place where you just don't understand, when you're confused about what God is doing. It's okay to have joy in these areas. You know, Ecclesiastes that we went through said there's a time for everything. And it's okay to have a joy through all that when joy is your lifestyle. Don't act like you're doing okay just because you're having to put it on a show for everybody else. There's going to be a time when you're lonely. And there's going to be a time when, when death happens in your life and you don't understand. But it's okay to have joy. And you say, well, how in the world is that possible? How can you have joy in those situations? This is where joy comes from. Joy comes from celebrating what God is doing through those situations. It's celebrating God as he's doing what God does. Because God does things that we don't understand. He uses all situations to forward the gospel. And that's where we can find joy. We can find joy in every one of those situations, and that's where Paul found joy at. He found joy in the fact that all of these things that Paul could have complained about, the gospel was moving forward. Because he was in prison, the gospel was moving forward. Because he was alone, the gospel was moving forward. Why? Because he had invested and shown grace into this Philippian church, and they were moving the gospel forward. And God was doing things. Things don't always work out the way that we plan them to be. I'll give you one example. I got an email this week. We have a little hiccup with us moving to Cleveland High School, which really, really disappointed me on Thursday. And then as I studied through all this, I said, why am I disappointed in this? God knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing and exactly how it's all supposed to work. We had planned on being in, in uh, Cleveland on January 2nd. After this Philippians message was over, moving over there, and a little hiccup came up, and we were kind of said, told, don't think it's going to happen. And I just said, you mean right now? It's just not going to happen right now. No, we don't think it's going to happen. I said, no, it's not going to happen right now. And, and, you know, we just had some conversations and some things have taken place, and I'm excited to see what God's going to do. Because I really do see that in the future we will be there and we'll be reaching out and we'll be packing the place and we'll be having multiple services, reaching out for this community to reach them with the gospel of Christ. But God has his plans, and sometimes they're different than our own. 
And it's okay to have joy and disappointment. It's okay to have joy when somebody that is close to you is sick and suffering, knowing that the gospel is moving forward, knowing that every opportunity is an opportunity for people to meet Jesus and understand what the full grace of God really is. And how does Paul share this? How is this relationship with the church at Philippi staying strong? Verses 5 through 9. It says, Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending my, or in confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how long how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. You know, having a relationship built on Christ Jesus helps us carry on. That grace and peace is there to help us persevere. When God starts a project, guess what? He is faithful to complete it. He will either work in you or He will work on you, but He will complete the project that He has started. He will finish it. It could be this church. It could be you yourself. And in this passage here, he's talking about the church at Philippi. He is faithful to complete it. The whole relationship with God is built on grace, so there's nothing that we can do that is so bad that God is going to walk away from you. Because we didn't deserve it to begin with. We didn't deserve the grace that he gave us. Paul understood this, and he understood the love for his church and the people, and, he, and it gave him joy that even as he sat in prison that the gospel was going forward, that he knew the church and the people there were on the same page and that the gospel was moving forward, and he was encouraging them to do that. That's what this letter is all about, is encouraging a church in the face of opposition to move forward. And we should understand as well that God is working on the person that's sitting next to you. I want you to look at the person sitting on your left and sitting on your right. God is working on that person right now. And God is working on you. And he has not finished the project yet. He will be faithful to complete it. And our completion date is that same date that ends up after the end of the dash on our tombstone. He will be faithful to complete it. Does that mean we're going to sin? Yes, it does. Does that mean he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins when we repent? Absolutely. He is constantly working on us, and he's working on our lives. And that person that's next to you might be the person that you got in a fight with this morning. Might have been the first person that you fought with at some point in time this week that is carried over to this very morning. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. It's not for me to know that unless you post it on Facebook. Um, the, uh, the whole idea, though, is the fact that God is working on them. And what should we be doing? We should be praying for them as God works. And how should we be praying? We'll take a look at this. Verse 9 says, And this is my prayer for you, that, you, that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge of depth of insight, so that you might be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. Paul's prayer, grow in God. Grow in God. Let my life be an encouragement to you. How can I best be an encouragement to you? How can I best help you through these situations? How can I be an example to you? These are the prayers that he does. Gospel partnerships are not held together like other friendships. Gospel partnerships are held together by prayer and by grace. 
Gospel partnerships are held together by prayer and by grace. And praying for one another as we go through the ups and downs. Pray that we find joy in our good times and pray that you find joy in your rough times. Pray that you understand what that person is going through. And it's not one of those, hey, I'll be praying for you, brother. It's not one of those. It's an actual prayer. You know, Paul lists it out in a letter, a handwritten letter. When was the last time anybody here wrote a handwritten letter? Yeah. There, email, text, those kind of, who does a handwritten letter? Let me challenge you today. And I'm the, this might be really a difficult task, and you haven't held a pen for long enough in your hand that it's not going to cramp up, you know, in the process of writing this letter. Who do you have a gospel partnership with? Who needs to be encouraged in their time right now? Who in this room that you know needs to be encouraged? Who is that person that you are sitting with or sitting next to? You know, you could send a text message. You could send an email. You could even type out a letter. But let me tell you, of all the things you've probably ever saved, memento-wise or, or, you know, you know, memory-type things, I bet handwritten stuff is the things you're going to save the most, the things that mean the most to you, because they took the time to do it. And I would challenge you to do that. Find somebody. Write somebody a letter. Parents, write your kids a letter and encourage them. Something along those lines. Just take time to pray for them. And it's not just a, a simple, uh, you know, I'm going to be pray for you. Hey, I, I pray for so-and-so. Boom, done. It's look at the things that Paul did. Look what he prayed for, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you might be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus. That is an amazing prayer. That's an amazing prayer for us to pray. And ask God just to take that person that we're praying for to the next level. And that maybe through that they can do the same to somebody else. Continue to encourage because you know what? We're in days of opposition. We're in days where we're constantly in a battle with Satan and what he wants. But let's pray and encourage one another. How are you in your relationships? Are you lonely in a crowd? Do you have only friendships that are based on commonality that could change? Or do you have real solid gospel partnerships? that can encourage you, that you can encourage, that can pray for you, that you can pray for? How is your relationship built up in that way? Is your relationship built on a partnership through God? The only way to have that triangle is for both of you to be in Christ. Are your friends that you have without Christ, as they're straying the relationship because of that? I suggest you tell them about Christ. Are you sitting in here right now without Christ putting on a show saying, yeah, 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 I, I, can, I can fake it one more morning on a Sunday? Where are you at in your relationship with Christ? Are you thinking that you're too far away from Him because all the things that you've done wrong? I don't know where you're at, but God does. And I want to pray for you this morning. And, uh, and the great thing, you know, the song we sang a little while ago, I will walk by faith. Even when I'm walking on this broken road, I understand what God's doing for me. 
That's a great song. You know, I didn't call Sam up and say, hey, Sam, sing this song, this song, and this song because it'll fit with my message. But the song that he's getting ready to come up and sing right now is God is mighty to save. And no matter where you're at in your life, if you don't know Jesus Christ, his grace is extended out to you. All you have to do is repent. I'm going to give you that opportunity this morning. I'm going to be down here to pray with you. But Sam, if you would come forward as I pray, I appreciate it. Father God, we love you so much. And we thank you for your love for us. A love that we didn't deserve. A love that we didn't earn. A love that extends so far that you were willing to give up your one and only son. That we could have life. Lord, we just are so grateful for that. And some other times we're just so ungrateful. I don't know where everybody's at in their relationship with you. But God, I know that I'm a work in progress and I appreciate you still working on me. That I fail, that I fight with my wife, that I get angry with my kids. But God, I pray that you continue to work on me. Continue to change me to be more like who you want me to be. And Lord, I know there's people in here that have the exact same prayer. I pray that you're already working on their hearts and working on their minds. Pray in your name. Amen.